Hi, I'm Mitch, and this is Policy Talks. Welcome to Policy Talks, a show focused on policy analysis in international affairs. In this episode, we put the spotlight on hydroelectric power in the Horn of Africa, as we discuss the construction of the Grand Ethiopian Renaissance Dam, which will be the largest hydroelectric power plant in Africa once completed. Now, while the dam could lock in energy security and contribute to Ethiopia's economic growth for years to come, it is also causing tensions with Egypt, as the dam may curtail water availability along the Nile River, impacting irrigation, food and water supply, and jobs. Both countries have been in negotiations to come to an agreement on the outcome of the dam. Uh, Most recently, Ethiopia and Egypt signaled that they had reached a negotiations breakthrough, but nothing concrete was achieved. Now, these political issues are further compounded by the recent death of the dam's chief engineer. In this context, to explain and unpack the current politics and development around the dam, I spoke with Dr. Harry Verhoeven, an associate professor at the School of Foreign Service at Georgetown University in Qatar, and an expert on hydropolitics and Africa-Middle East relations. Dr. Verhoeven, thank you so much for joining us on Policy Talks. My pleasure. Um, To start, uh, I was hoping you could briefly discuss the recent death of the chief engineer of the great Ethiopian Renaissance Dam. Uh, What are the implications of his death, and what impact has it had thus far? Well, the death of uh, of an engineer, uh, Samanyi Bekele, has been a, a huge shock ordinary Ethiopians because uh, engineer Samanyi was really the face of the Grand Ethiopian Renaissance Dam, the biggest developmental project, infrastructural project in Ethiopian history, but also the biggest ongoing infrastructure project in, in Africa. And for the last uh, seven years or so, Samanyi Bakale has been the one who, to communicate about this, to guide people on the dam, to meet uh, thousands of, of students, of civil servants, of diplomats, of, uh, of business leaders, whenever they, they would have anything to do with the dam. Um, so the fact that he, that he died, and that he died in, in such a violent way, in such a bizarre way, so his body was found in the most important square in the middle of Addis Ababa, in the middle of rush hour in the morning, uh, means that many Ethiopians have not been profoundly saddened, but also profoundly worried. And in many ways, I think those worries are, are well-merited, um, because a couple of days before the death of the engineer, the prime minister, in a surprise move, the new prime minister, um, referred to problems with the projects and seemed to be blaming um, a number of the, the central figures in the implementation of the project, of which engineer Semanyi would be the, the best known. Um, and he said that if, if, if uh, works continue at the current pace, it would take at least another decade or so to, to finish this project. And for an Ethiopian population, which is already very, very heavily sacrificed in a financial sense, because the entire project is funded by ordinary Ethiopian people. Um, therefore, this announcement came as a shock and then followed by the death of the engineer in circumstances, circumstances that seem to point to an assassination rather than a suicide. You understand that that's, that that's very, very, very worrying. What has emerged since then is that the prime minister's statements um, should not be seen in isolation, but that there are very uh, big worries uh, in the country as a whole about the state of the dam, and that everything seems to point to uh, the growing um, collision, if you like, or merger between the issue of the dam, the file of the dam and its problems, and the power struggle that's going on in Addis Ababa at the heart of the regime. Uh, and that, of course, puts his death in an even different spotlight. Perhaps what happened to him was was a political assassination or liquidation rather than um, 
than an unfortunate accident or, or him taking his own life. So so for that reason, Ethiopians for the past couple of weeks have, have really been uh, been following the news very closely, been, been, been waiting to hear anything. And when the government came out with the official report, which is that it's suicide, hardly anyone believed it because people understand that this is uh, very closely implicated in the, um, in, as I said, the ongoing power struggle in Addis Ababa. So you alluded to delays in the project, um, and you mentioned the the projection that at, at the current pace it might take up to another another decade to complete construction. Um, has there been any discussion about uh, beyond that a realistic completion date, or have there been any moves to try and bring that? Because my understanding, of course, is that the dam has been has had several um, projected completion dates that have been pushed back again and again. Uh, is there any real uh, uh, understanding of when this dam would be operational? Well, I think it will be sooner than 10 years. I mean, the truth is there, there has been some pushback, but not much. So the, the, the original projections back in 2011 were around, were around now, 2017, 2018 depending a bit on, on a number of, of variables, but that was essentially what people were, were hoping for, that they could start filling the reservoir by now. Um, I still think it's doable to do it in the next five years or so, even the next three years, but it depends on, on the management of the project. And the more the project is politicized and the more it is subject to political controversy, and it's very, very regrettable in many ways that the prime minister himself, the leader of the country who was inserted it into this this ongoing power struggle. The more that happens, um, the more it is likely that A, the project loses popular support, and B, that there's indeed uh, actual technical difficulties in, in the in the implementation. Now, I remain optimistic up to some extent, uh, in the sense that I think that the project is simply too important for the, for the regime in Ethiopia to abandon or to continue playing games with. Uh, but certainly what has been happening over the last couple of weeks has, has done a lot of damage, both to the image of the dam internally, but also to Ethiopia's external reputation, because this dam is explicitly built for regional integration. And some of the prime minister's comments seem to be undercutting that. We'll have more with Dr. Harry Verhoeven after a quick break. You're listening to Policy Talks Podcast in partnership with iAffairs Canada, recorded at CKCU 93.1 FM. For more, go to www.policytalkspodcast.com. If there is a number which exceeds 100%, this is over 100% commitment from the government of Ethiopia and people of Ethiopia. You could see how far, how much the people are mobilized behind the dam because we see in that that the eradication of poverty, progress of our country, uh, socio-economic advancement because energy is the basic for everything. That was Ethiopian Minister of Water, Irrigation and Electricity, Dr. Seleshe Bekele, in December affirming Ethiopia's commitment to the Grand Ethiopian Renaissance Dam. The government of Ethiopia has placed a great deal of monetary and political capital into the dam at a time of resurgent protest and attempts at reform. Dr. Verhoeven and I continued our conversation by examining the relations between Ethiopia and Egypt surrounding the construction of the dam. I was hoping we could talk now about uh, politics uh, internationally regarding this right. dam. Uh, could you outline the major sources of disagreement or friction between Ethiopia 
and uh, surrounding countries, um, particularly Egypt, on the construction of this dam? Well, sure. I mean, it, it's important to understand that the dam is not just uh, what it's officially about. So officially, the dam is about the control of floodwaters, the generation of, of hydropower. But in many ways, the dam is really about who who is the regional leader, who can exercise regional leadership in the Horn of Africa, in the Nile Basin. For the last 200 years or so, there's essentially been, been Egypt, uh, which has been able to shape the politics of its surrounding states and to use the bulk of the water for irrigation at home and as well as for the um, consumption of drinking water. Um, and what Ethiopia really hopes to, to achieve with this dam, apart from the generation of, of power and, and an element of national pride, is to reverse those roles and essentially to shift uh, power upstream uh, from Cairo to, to Addis Ababa. Now, a lot of the technical disputes about the design of the dam, the safety of the dam, um, a number of things to do with how the turbines would operate, how long it would take to fill the reservoir behind the dam, are really not arguments about, about, about the very technical aspects of it, though that's what ostensibly is claimed, but are really more fundamental political objections and our attempts at, at stalling, at delaying the, the, the project, at perhaps either canceling it altogether or, or transforming it into something that uh, would be less, less ambitious and therefore less threatening to the historical basis of, of Egyptian power. Um, so that's really what's, what's at stake here, and that's, I think, why a lot of people have paid attention, and usually big infrastructure projects are not particularly interesting for uh, the overwhelming majority of people, but because certainly in the region, many millions of people understand very well that water in the Nile Basin is, is power. They understand that this is what the dam is, the dam is about. Now, that doesn't mean, of course, that those technical details are not important. They do matter. I mean, the safety of the dam, it's important that the dam operates in a safe and predictable manner. Um, the, 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 um, the time it would take to fill the reservoir, it's important to clarify that because farmers downstream, of course, have to adapt to, to, to changes in the, um, in the flow of the river, etc. So they, they do matter, but up to a large extent, they, they're, they're not really what the dispute is about. There's a more fundamental question about power, and, and certainly in the Nile Basin, uh, political power is often seen as a zero-sum game. So what you, you have is something I don't have, and what I have is something you can't have. Uh, and that's really the, the problem at, uh, fundamentally between Egypt and, and Ethiopia. So is it easy to crystallize what the positions are for each country or what the, the demands are um, in order to reach kind of a, a, a an agreement for both parties? Well, yeah, so from, from the Egyptian perspective, um, it is you know really a, a position that looks at the status quo and it tries to preserve it as much as possible. Uh, the Egyptian interest is in um, as I said, delaying, slowing down this dam as much as possible, uh, reducing its size as much as possible, um, to the extent that the dam will come into operation, ensure that there is maximum Egyptian oversight or perhaps even co-management of the dam, all in function, as I said, of Egypt maintaining control and being able to, to continue to function and to operate and have its economy continue to operate in the way it does, it does today. Um, from the perspective of, of Ethiopia, it's, it's pretty much the, op the, the, the opposite. It's, it's to maximize its autonomy, it's to have the dam as big and as important as, as, as possible. It is for Ethiopia to determine on, on the water flows uh, that the dam releases, the power that is generated, how much power is sold to whom, at what price. Um, so that's really where, where, where the two extremes stand. And in the middle, of course, you have a range of other countries, most importantly Sudan, which is where most of the, the Nile flows through before it reaches Egypt and then the Mediterranean. 
Uh, Sudan, from its perspective, could could well be interested in using as much of the water that will first be stored behind the dam and then released. Sudan would like to use that that, that water for for agricultural purposes. Um, and you know, there's some optimism in in Sudan and in other circles that this may lead to a real boost for for agriculture, um, perhaps even for agricultural productivity. Um, and so Sudan, you know, obviously would like a safe dam that that's important to them. Um, but they really want to maximize the amount of water that they personally will get. And that's, up to some extent, of course, at the expense of, of Egypt. So now Egypt being the two downstream countries, and they'll have to divide whatever water flow through between them, of course. And again, we come back to this zero-sum thinking. Unfortunately, in the Nile Basin, um, it is still national interest and a very narrow definition of national interests uh, that trump region-wide or basin-wide considerations, which would be far better from an economic or environmental perspective. Is there much that, realistically, is there much that Egypt can do, given a, by its very nature the dam is upriver, it is in Ethiopia, is there, is there much that Egypt can do to uh, prevent Ethiopia from moving forward on this? Well, it shouldn't be underestimated. I mean, it's, you're absolutely right, of course. Ultimately, the dam is on Ethiopian territory, and Ethiopia decides to exercise its sovereign right to do so. Then, in theory, that's the end of the story. But Egypt um, has, of course, a lot of powerful friends, uh, most notably in the United States, but also in Europe. Uh, Egypt has long very successfully lobbied a, long, a number of multilateral organizations, the most important one being the World Bank, to try to shape uh, the thinking within the bank, within major Western capitals, to warn about the consequences for its own stability. As you know, Egypt's stability is paramount, certainly in the context of migration to Europe, uh, Israel, what's happening in Libya, etc. So people are always very sensitive to these claims. And Egypt has has long exploited that very very skillfully, so it's not because Egypt um, lacks, so to speak, the material material uh, options that it doesn't have other ways of, of 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 impacting what what happens there. One question that people sometimes pose, of course, is is there a military option? Is this would Egypt be capable of of stopping this dam militarily? I think the answer to that question is no. I think the sooner that option is taken off the table, even in just in hypothetical discussions, the better. Uh, Egypt is financially not in a position to wage war. Uh, it would do very well not to underestimate the capabilities of the Ethiopian army. Uh, military action would almost certainly lead to a much wider regional confrontation that would, um, I think, really damage uh, Egypt and that would, I think, do very little to uh, change Ethiopia's resolve uh, on this question. And um, moreover, you know, even logistically launching the operation would be very difficult. So you know, Egypt concentrates its efforts at the, on, the, on the diplomatic front um, and as I said, it's, it's has historically been been very successful in, in, in doing that. Um, and again, the latest comments of the Ethiopian prime minister, who seemed to be undercutting his own his own project and his own people, um, will certainly give extra ammunition to Egyptian diplomats and Egyptian intelligence officers to, to continue in that line and to continue to try to sow doubt um, and get 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 a hearing for Egyptians for Egypt's use. Can you give us a sense of the current state of negotiations between between Egypt and Ethiopia and perhaps Sudan to to a lesser extent? Um, how have they progressed, and and currently, what is the the situation on that front? Well, the negotiations have been going on for for years. Um, the negotiations are are nothing new. Um, they've been talking essentially on and off for, for, for close to a decade now, for, for essentially since the start of the project in, in 2011. Um, they're inching forward. You know, people agree to have another meeting, to set up another technical committee, another study, 
another uh, consultant uh, agency, a consultancy agency that, that gets involved. But as I said, fundamentally, um, there is so little trust between the different parties, and there is such a sense in Egypt that Ethiopia wants to isolate it and and really punish it for 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 what Ethiopia sees historically as as injustice. And in Ethiopia, the sense is really that Egypt is is trying to deny it its sovereign right to develop and to build infrastructure that would benefit its people. That it's extremely difficult to bridge that. I mean, from a technical point of view, it's not very very hard to reach agreement. But of course, if you and I really don't trust each other, and as I said, we see power in zero sum games, it's it's very hard for those for those negotiations to to actually lead to tangible, meaningful progress. Um, one upside is at least that you know because negotiations are ongoing that most of the rhetoric is is peaceful and and everybody says that they're committed to to regional cooperation and working together and that's that's positive um but in terms of actual substance the negotiations after all these years have, have yielded very little and as i said there is not much reason to assume that magically in three months or six months or a year from now that will that will be very different we'll conclude our conversation with dr harry verhoeven after a quick break You're listening to Policy Talks Podcast, in partnership with iAffairs Canada, recorded at CKCU 93.1 FM. For more, go to www.policytalkspodcast.com. China has been a a very important and a strategic uh, partner uh, in all our development efforts. An Ethiopian uh, economic transformation uh, by way of investment, uh, trade, finance, uh, availing scholarship of uh, capacity building among others. China was uh, very good, supportive in all our uh, transformational endeavors. That was Ethiopian Prime Minister Abiy Ahmed in August, lauding the relationship between China and his country ahead of the Forum on China-African Cooperation this month. China's economic and strategic presence in Ethiopia and wider Africa has exploded in recent decades, making it an important player in the region. Dr. Verhoeven and I concluded our conversation by discussing the role of foreign powers in the dispute surrounding the dam. If we look more internationally, and you've alluded to the role of of other nations, is there a role for an honest broker in this situation uh, and if so, is there a country currently filling that? Well, there, there, there have been attempts, and most of these attempts are behind the scenes. But the United States, which is a close friend of both Ethiopia and Egypt, uh, the United States, which relies very heavily on security cooperation with Ethiopia and, and Egypt, has behind the scenes tried to play that role. The World Bank has take, undertaken a few steps. Um, you know, China has been quietly uh, sending out messages of encouragement, same for the European Union, etc., uh, the problem is that, that, that um, again, the, the, the parties themselves are, are not convinced that in, in a sensitive a dossier as this, they want any, any third parties officially uh, being around. From Ethiopia's perspective, there is not all that much to negotiate, frankly. Ethiopia has a right to build a dam, and that's the end of the story. And from Egypt's um, uh, perspective, you know, Ethiopia should really um, uh, bilaterally uh, commit and give it a number of guarantees and, and, and reach out to it. Um, and 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 that that that's the most important thing for 
for them. So again, it's it's uh, from a from a technocratic perspective, from a from an outsider's perspective. Yes, a, a fair broker would would certainly be be welcome and could make a difference. But but if the parties are are reluctant to do so and continue uh, to insist playing the game they've so far been been playing, then then it's it's difficult for anyone to impose themselves on the parties and to say um, we need you to sit down and to talk in a different manner than you've so far uh, conversed in. Is there any is there any realistic possibility that that approach would change? Uh, uh, and if so, what would be the kind of the levers to pull for that? I'm I'm curious because given that there are so many countries that have an increasing interest in the Horn of Africa, you mentioned China, there's the Gulf states as well. I, I'm surprised that such a large infrastructure project wouldn't have uh, more of an interest on either side uh, to to come to some kind of decision or uh, or conclusion. Yeah, as I said, it, it has everything to do with the with the way power is seen in this region and and what the dam represents. The dam, as I as I said, is is at the end of the day not really about infrastructure. It's about political power and and regional leadership. And it's uh, it comes in states that are very vulnerable, very fragile, um, very security obsessed. Um, and you know that's always been very difficult for partners, for outside partners, to deal with them. I mean, if you talk to to American security officials or European security officials, and you ask them about their relationship with with Egypt, that's a that's a complex and not at all straightforward relationship. Despite the fact that the United States, for example, gives more than a billion dollars in military aid to Egypt annually. Same thing about about Ethiopia. Ask any diplomat or again security official who's ever had to deal with Ethiopia. Um, these are these are not just countries where you can where you can say oh we give you this much money therefore you should do this or that um, that's not how it how it works in practice so you can as an outsider you can make suggestions you can um, make advice you can you can offer uh, but at the end of the day if that offer is not taken up uh, you can you can lead the horse to the to the water but you can't force it to drink and that's that's the problem we're facing here is there a fear as well that any any substantial involvement from a third party would be essentially picking winners and and that's just something that countries don't want to take on certainly there's there's certainly that that worry that uh, that that the idea of an honest broker doesn't doesn't exist that there would be other interests and 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 other games that would that would become involved that that would become implicated in this and so um, there's there there's that concern I mean, that's particularly concerned, for example, with regards to the to the World Bank. Both Egypt and Ethiopia have a long and complex relationship with the bank. Um, and the truth is, as I said, that the bank has, has tried uh, in several ways, with money, without money, um, but has essentially been told, no, we, we actually don't want you to, to take the lead and, and make this part of a broader regional integration strategy. Uh, same thing for the United States, as I said, apart from important behind-the-scenes work and trying to give reassurances and to stave off worst case scenarios um, the United States is still not uh, not fully trusted in part because of course of the the changes in, in US foreign policy and and, and also the sense um, both in the Horn and also in the Middle East that the United States over the last decade or so or 15 years has become an unreliable partner in this uh, in this region and therefore not well placed to, to broker an agreement of this uh, of this importance. Before we, we, we finish, um, I just wanted to ask your opinion, uh, and I know it's difficult uh, to speculate, but how do you see the situation around the dam uh, 
uh, evolving over the coming months and years? Do you see a resolution uh, and, a, and, a, and a satisfactory conclusion uh, in the short, medium, long term? Um, how do you think things will play out? Well, as I said, I think I think this dam will be will be constructed. I think it will take more time and more money, but ultimately, I think the Ethiopian government, because the project is simply too important, will will come through, will pull through, will will pull it off. Um, but I think it's more likely to end with a with a, with the establishment of facts on the ground by Ethiopia, rather than be part of a of a of a of a region wide agreement and. That may initially seem to be to Ethiopia's advantage, you know, Egypt being unable to stop it. But given, as I said, that this dam is built for regional integration and, and is, is meant to provide power uh, to the entire region and Ethiopia to assert its leadership in a, in a benevolent manner, the fact that there would not be any agreement would actually be a major blow to, to what Ethiopia has always said is its central um, goal with this dam. So in that sense, I, I think, you know, you, you'll probably see the dam but unfortunately, the, this, this promise of regional integration, which is so crucial to this region, which struggles like no other with climate change, has mass unemployment, has seen agricultural productivity uh, stagnate, in which all states are, are heavily indebted and running big budget deficits with high rates of inflation. For all those reasons, you know, regional integration would be a good thing. Um, but unfortunately, it doesn't look like the dam will live up to its to its potential because it won't be connected to this, as I said, this wider regional infrastructure or architecture, sorry. This wider regional architecture, which which is meant to, of which is meant to be the centerpiece. Let's let's put it that way. Well, I think we will leave it there, Dr. Verhoeven. Thank you so much for for lending your perspective and your your expertise on this topic. Uh, uh, we very much appreciate you taking part in the show. My pleasure. Thank you for listening to Policy Talks. Remember to visit us at policytalkspodcast.com and on Twitter at policytalkspod for updates and related content. We would like to acknowledge the support of our partners at iAffairs Canada, an online media hub based at the Norman Patterson School of International Affairs at Carleton University. iAffairs engages the diverse international affairs community in Canada and around the world to produce policy research and recommendations on foreign policy issues with a specific focus on students, emerging scholars, and young professionals. Visit them at iAffairsCanada.com to learn more. I'd also like to acknowledge the hard work of our production team, Marshall Palmer, Basil Ismail, Stephen Cook, and Joe Venkatesh. Until next time, I'm Mitch, and this is Policy Talks. Policy Talks.